Please fasten your seatbelts. The skies are rough and our two pilots have no idea where they're going. So kick back, relax, and enjoy your flight on no blackout dates. No blackout dates. No blackout dates. No blackout dates. Is it weird being a commentator on people that are your friends, people you like, athletes that you know? Mats everywhere, people swinging from thing to thing, climbing spider climbs, going up 18-foot warped walls. It's kind of insane. <laughs> when people ask you what you do for a living, have you ever said that you're a ninja? The more important issue here, though, that I think people might get fired up about, are you a Friends guy or a Seinfeld guy? What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another week of No Blackout Dates. My name's Tim. And I'm Evan. We got a cool one for you today with our new friend, Megan Martin. Megan is a professional climber who has been climbing since she was in grade school and has been competing for nearly as long. She's also a climbing analyst with NBC Olympics and was covering the Tokyo 20 Games, excuse me, the Tokyo 2020 Games when climbing made its big world debut on the Olympic stage. She's been commentating for ESPN for the past few years and has basically become the public face of climbing to the first timers like Eben, who have never watched it before. So we're really stoked to get into it with her, uh, talk all things Olympics, all things climbing, and all things American Ninja Warrior here in a few minutes. But first, you know what's coming. We got our famed hot takes section. Eben, why don't you start it off this week? I just want to note that I have a ladder in my apartment that goes up to this like weird loft. And I can't even climb the ladder. It's like a very big, very stable ladder. And I get like anxiety just trying to climb this ladder. So Megan talking to her, it's very impressive. And it's it's very, uh, it's a world that I have not dabbled in. Let's just say that. So it's a good conversation. Well, you know what, Evan? You, you mailed me that Colorado Rockies number one dad shirt. For Christmas, I'm going to send you a climbing harness. Yeah, but the thing is, you wear the Rocky shirt to bed. There's no way I'm wearing the climbing harness to bed. <laughs> I guess I could wear the harness every time I climb a flight of stairs. That'd be kind of funny. Um, okay, my first hot take for you, Tim, is, is in-flight drinking a good idea? Talking about alcohol, obviously. Right. My general opinion is no, and I'll tell you why. Because I had this story. I had, a few years ago, I was on a work trip up to Mammoth in California, and I had basically an all-day layover at LAX. I was there for long enough to eat lunch and dinner in the airport and do a full day of work. About mid-afternoon, I started drinking because I was bored to death uh, sitting in the airport. So I kind of did my own little solo pub crawl around the terminal. I uh, went to the different spots and had like a beer at each one. Then I got on the plane and uh, they announced on the plane they were giving out free beer. So I had beer on the plane. And by the time I got to my hotel in Mammoth, I had the worst headache I've ever had in my life. So I, I think that drinking maybe one is fine, but drinking uh, more than two beers on the plane, no, nah, I don't think I'll ever do that again. Was that because you were on a plane, though, the, the headache, or do you think it's just because you day drank too much? I think it's the altitude changes. I think mm -hmm. it was, I yeah, think it was because right. I was up at 30,000 feet, and then I was down. Do you think it can help you sleep? Do you think there's benefits? Because that's why people do it. They're like, oh, I got like one or two... Uh, nips of alcohol on the plane i'm right asleep like is that that's not my case but is, is, is that valid i think it's probably valid i mean i'm i'm all for you know if you're flying down to cancun for vacation having a bloody mary on the plane or something like that but i i don't think drinking as a hobby on the plane is going to give you anything other than a headache in the long run 
if it helps you fall asleep fine for me being drunk on a plane is my own personal nightmare because when i'm drunk i want to have i want to be able to free roam i want to be able to uh, have an outlet for my energy because it gets me all amped up yet on a plane you are sitting there squeezed in a tight confined space you can't get up you can't do anything and you have to so, pee more often so that's super inconvenient being but exactly being buzzed being drunk in that kind of environment a confined space where i can't have an outlet for my energy there's no entertainment there's no fun to be had it is an absolute nightmare absolute nightmare so we're definitely not going to be hanging out with dirks bentley i guess is the moral of this story who's that he's the guy that sings the song drunk on a plane i guess not that's, that's out of the question tim all right, we settled that one. Next question. We talked this about this a little bit the other week, but it was Tim's birthday last week, and I want to ask you, at what age do you stop caring about your birthday? I would say when you... I mean, really, after you're 25, right? Because you can rent a car. There's nothing else to look forward to. But yeah, like, but no one's, like, excited about being 25 right. because you can rent a car. Like, at what age are you, like, stop looking forward to your birthday? At what age does it just become another day? that you know your significant other buys you dinner and that's it right like there's no presents there's no party there's no let's go out what age does that stop that was this year for sure i would definitely say that by the time you're in your 30s it's just especially if it's a work day it's just another day where yeah you might get some more text messages and phone calls but it's honestly like it's one of those things where you're kind of ready for it to be over by the end because you don't want to have to like reply to all these people anymore now do you feel bad about aging another year at this point like I, what i always wondered about this when i was a kid and i thought birthdays were awesome i look forward to it so much and i was like why do adults get so weird about their birthday because they're like they get they freak out that they're getting a year older like i love getting a year older but at what point does that end because i feel like i'm in the gray area now where i i'm not like oh my god i'm so old but i'm also not really excited to get older like i'm not looking forward to it like i used to so for you, you turned 38. Were you indifferent to turning a year older? Were you excited to be nearing your 40s? What, what, what was going on in your head? I was pretty indifferent. I would say, honestly, I was more anxious about turning 30 than I am about turning 40. I, I don't really care anymore. I, I think, and this might come off as kind of conceited, but I think part of it comes down to whether or not you're happy with the life that you're living. And like, I just had a baby. I've got a you know, good career. I'm, I'm pretty happy, all things considered, you know, I think if I was, if I was miserable, I would probably dread having another year go by. It's less about the age as it is about your state of mind. So if you were yeah. miserable going into 40, you'd be like, shit, I'm about to be 40. And I still don't have it figured out. But if you have it all figured out when you're, you know, 29, you got a wife, kids, whatever you makes, whatever makes you happy. Then uh, turning 30 is probably not a big deal. You're like, cool, I got it all figured out. I'm happy. Like, who cares about turning 30? So, yeah, I think that's a great point. I believe, Evan, that I was with you on your 30th birthday. Uh, were. We were on a boat. Was I, freak was I freaking out because my life wasn't together? No, I think you had it <laughs> together better than I did. <laughs> kind words, Tim. Kind words. Let's move on. I'll answer some questions. Let's go. Well, I've got, uh, I've got two for you. The first one I'm going to ask you is kind of relevant to our topic today with the guest, Megan Martin. Uh, you, as you, as you proudly boasted during our episode, The Great Indoors, a couple of months ago, uh, are not an, an overly outdoorsy person. But I I'm curious, if you had to choose an outdoor activity to commit yourself to for multiple years, what would that be? 
proudly boasted. That's uh, that is a thing I do about the indoors, Tim. Things I'm passionate about. Does drinking outside count? Sure, why not? Okay, so again, not a huge day drinker, but I thought I like barbecues. How about barbecues? Barbecues are not barbecues are great. Sure. It's outside. You got it's you got a. It's almost like camping. Camp barbecues are kind of a part of camping. So I'm taking one element of camp of the camping experience, and I'm latching onto that, and I'm I'm giving you that as my answer. Barbecues. It's like yeah, it's like training wheels camping is what barbecues are. Ba- the backyard barbecue is the training wheels of camping. Yes. Doesn't food taste better outside? It does. Absolutely. Something about I don't know what it is. I don't love eating standing up, you know, but. I think like a burger just tastes better outside. It just does. I don't right. know. Will I order a burger in a restaurant? Almost never. Do I love a burger when it's when it's at a barbecue? Love it. What is it about it? I don't know. Uh, okay, my second one, my second one, Eben, and this this one ties into current events a little bit. So, as you may or may not know, after many years of trying, Seinfeld is finally on Netflix. Okay. And I don't know if you're a Seinfeld guy. I kind of had watched it casually, but my wife and I have been watching it now lately. Um, and we recently, just the other day, watched an episode where Kramer tried to return uh, fruit to the store. <laughs> and Jerry gave him a bunch of shit about that because, you know, it's fruit. Like, you shouldn't return fruit to the store. But they had this whole banter. And I was thinking about that. I was like, I don't know if I've ever returned fruit. Is that something you do? Can you return, like, raw vegetables and fruit to the store is that an okay thing to do i think you can return anything as long as it hasn't been as long as you haven't peeled the banana or broken the like skin of the fruit what about like a head of lettuce because you obviously have touched the lettuce i don't they might accept it but they probably wouldn't resell it uh interesting the more important issue here though that i think people might get fired up about are you a friends guy or a seinfeld guy well we're actually watching both so if I had to pick one, honestly, I would probably pick Seinfeld. Okay. Although uh, I do have to say that I, I was not aware until this watch through that Friends has like an ongoing storyline all the way to the end, other than like the Ross and Rachel drama. Uh, and it actually does. And that's been kind of enjoyable to follow. Yeah, yeah. I've always been a Friends guy. My parents watched Friends when I was growing up. So I kind of just, and they weren't as into Seinfeld. So I, I grew up in the world of Friends. And having rewatched Friends now several times and having seen a lot of Seinfeld, I'm still a Friends guy. The reason being, I think Seinfeld is a better show, is objectively a cleverer, more smartly written show that is rooted in social commentary that's just that holds up today that's really smart really funny but i like friends better the reason being i think the characters of seinfeld are insufferably annoying i can't relate to them they're designed to be narcissists like they were written to be unlikable narcissistic people and that's part of the show i don't like that they're not people that i would ever want to hang out with the reason friends is so good is because the people are likable and you could argue that ross is a little whiny or monica's annoying or whatever but the people they're actually friends with each other they act toward each other the way that you act toward your friends or that you wish your friends would act toward you they have real relationships yeah i think you actually just hit the nail on the head right there by saying that they act the way that you wish your friends acted and the way that you wish you acted towards your friends because like watching how like joey and chandler 
interact and how emotional they get sometimes. Like, I don't have any friends that I'm that emotional with, but I wish that I did. Right. right? Exactly. And, like, you, I think Friends is funny. I think it's very well written. I don't think its humor is as cerebral as Seinfeld, but I will laugh out loud while watching Friends. I think it's a great show. I think it does a good job balancing that stuff with the more like heartwarming, real world kind of relationship building that we just talked about. And for that reason, I think Friends is, it's, I'm picking Friends every day. But do I understand that objectively Seinfeld might be rated a better show and why people consider it a better show a lot? 100%. I get it. So that's my take on that. And that's why I like the Kirby enthusiasm because it's the same kind of smart humor of Seinfeld, but without the annoying, obnoxious characters. And I think Larry David is a lot more likable and a lot more palatable than Jerry Seinfeld is. Right. Um, I agree. I agree. Uh, Jerry, Jerry is a little over the top sometimes. So I, I've got, I have two anecdotes that I'll close and then we'll get in here with Megan. First of all, uh, our, our episode from two weeks ago with Kelly Rizzo, uh, I grew up watching her husband on Full House. You noted that your parents were friends people. My parents were Full House people. I grew up watching Full House when I was very young. The second anecdote uh, is that this ties into both of my hot takes questions. I worked in uh, Kroger grocery stores for several years when I was in high school and college, um, which I guess I, sh I should know more about the produce return policy, but I do not. However, <laughs> Uh, one time, Jerry Seinfeld came into the store I was working at in city, in uh, Durango, Colorado. I was not working when it happened, but I heard all about it. Was he a dick? I I don't think so. You see that clip of him on Larry King where Larry – it was like years after Seinfeld ended, and Larry King uh, kind of mistakenly implied that Seinfeld was canceled, and Jerry just goes off on him, basically calling him an idiot. He's like, you thought I was canceled, Larry? You thought I was canceled? You thought the number one show in television was canceled? Because he did, it wasn't canceled. He they uh, voluntarily, you know, ended it. And I mean, I you want to if you want to get like a reason of why I don't like Jerry Seinfeld, watch that interview because he comes off right. as a fucking douchebag. No, so that's he does. how I imagined him to be in Kroger grocery stores trying to return fruit. All right. Well, uh, we'll we'll leave it there with our witty anecdotes. We'll get into it with Megan Martin, and we will see you on the other side. Okay, Megan Martin is here with us today. Megan is a professional climber, a TV analyst covering climbing, and generally a advocate for everything climbing related, and a general badass in the outdoor world. Megan, thank you for joining No Black Outdates. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here. So let's start at the beginning first, and then uh, we'll dive into the Olympics and some of the exciting things that have been happening. But climbing as a concept, moving from, uh, from ground level up a wall to the top, pretty basic stuff, yet it's one of the most hardcore sports in the world. How did you get into it? What drew you in? Why are you hooked? Um, well, I was pretty lucky to find climbing. Neither of my parents climbed. I grew up in Florida, the flattest place on earth. Um, so I was lucky to be born in the age of climbing gyms. So that's how I found climbing. I had just quit gymnastics, went into a climbing gym, kind of became obsessed with it, started competing right away. Um, but I had like a weird trajectory with climbing cause I competed for four years, started competing professionally. Like the second year I was climbing when I was about 12, 13 years old. And then I quit climbing and started pole vaulting 
and did that through high school and college and then came back to climbing like seven years after I'd quit it. So, but what keeps me hooked is I just, uh, I love everything about it. I love being able to go out in nature. I love climbing in the gym too. I love the art of problem solving. I think climbing is one of the most cerebral sports. It makes you feel strong. It's frustrating, but then when you're successful, it's so awesome for a moment until you're on to the next thing. I don't know. It's just really addictive. <laughs> it does seem like the people that are, that are super into it are like that. It is their life. They're living in a van in Yosemite for seven <laughs> months out of the year. Like they are all about climbing. Yeah, I think it's really easy to have your whole life start to revolve around climbing. I think it happens to a lot of people. And again, I mean, there's so many other things that your life could revolve around, but I think climbing is a good one. <laughs> and the Tokyo Olympics this year were the first Olympics where climbing was an Olympic sport, correct? Correct. It was the first time climbing was an Olympic sport. So that kind of thrusts the sport into the mainstream. And now having done this your whole life, is it weird that so many people are now paying attention to it on such an international stage. I mean, I think it's kind of nice because, I mean, I have family members who still don't even know, like extended family, who don't really know exactly what I do in climbing and like what climbing is really about. So extended think... family, people I don't like, people I don't talk to. <laughs> people who don't, people who don't Aunts, get it. uncles, cousins. They, yeah, right? It's a little confusing to them. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it's cool that more people know that climbing exists and by that more people can get into the sport. I think it's a really special sport because I mean, it's more than just a sport. It's, it's a lifestyle really. Um, and I think especially as adults, I think it's hard to find ways to be active and be really psyched on being active on, in, on a regular basis and easily be able to make something routine. And I think climbing is kind of like the thing that people can get into and do on a daily basis and maybe they never go outside maybe they just climb in a gym but you know maybe they do end up going outside and then they get to experience the incredible stuff that climbing in nature has to offer so I don't know I think being in the Olympics and taking climbing to a broader audience is a good thing I think more people should know about the sport because it's pretty incredible do you worry at all though about it losing it's kind of dirtbag roots and vibe because like I like we kind of saw this in the 90s with snowboarding where it was like this punk rock thing to do and then now like Nike has a snowboard team and it's and it's everywhere in the world and it's and it's it's perfect like I I got into it during that era so I'm I was part of it of that of it blowing up and me catching the wave I was not like the original guy so I can't hate on that but I, I'm sure that for like you weren't the original guy what <laughs> Wow. Talk about hosting a podcast under false pretenses. <laughs> right. But the, the the people in the 80s, you know, that there, there was that kind of pushback against it becoming mainstream. Do you see that at all with climbing? Um, no, I totally get where you're coming from. And I do think like over time climbing has, I mean, obviously there are still some dirt bags out there, but it's definitely evolved from that. And I would say the good thing about it, you know, becoming a bigger thing in the real world or like what if Nike does have a climbing team at some point I mean for the athletes in climbing it'd be awesome to be able to make more of a living um, because it's hard still to make a living in climbing so I think that that could only be more beneficial I do think that it's important to definitely keep the core values that climbing has always had in the sport um, and with bringing new people in and there being lots and lots of people I think it's important that everyone does their part to kind of show people how exactly you should be going outside, how you should be at a crag, how you should 
clean off your tick marks and, you know, not throw your stuff everywhere and be in people's way or play loud music, like that kind of the etiquettes of climbing. I think, I think it's important for people to still focus on that. So let's talk a little bit about the Olympics uh, and your role as uh, an announcer, commentator. Can you go into that a little bit? This is your first time doing that in the Olympic setting. What was that like? Um, it was really exciting. I started commentating a few years ago, working with USA Climbing and ESPN. So it was really nice to have a lot of practice going into the Olympics. I've also got to work with the IFSC that does all of the World Cups. So getting to work with multiple productions was great practice for me going into a brand new production with new people and new ways of doing things. Um, so that was really exciting. And then, I mean, the whole thing, I mean, the Olympics is the biggest sporting event that we only get every four years. So it was such an honor to get to be involved in it. And it was really special too, because so many of the athletes competing I've known for years. So I had that connection to the athletes competing. Is it weird being a commentator on people that are your friends, people you like athletes that you know, being like, mm. like, wow, their, their form is just terrible. Or like, they really fuck that up. <laughs> what are they doing in the Olympics? And they like get to you back to you afterwards. And they're like, come on, Megan. They're like, how dare you? So, yeah, I don't know. I feel like if Tim was like climbing and I had to, or Tim was snowboarding and I had to commentate on it, I'd be like nervous. I'd be like, oh, I don't want to pile it on too hard if he screws up. <laughs> So it's funny, I don't, I don't think about that so much. I more so think about how I need to always be super objective and I don't ever want to make it seem like I care more about someone than others. But like obviously I do have friends that I'm closer to that are competing. So I, I'm just always trying to stay very neutral when I'm commentating. But it, I do notice that when someone I really care about is climbing, I, I, I can notice a tenseness in myself that maybe or hopefully it's not picked up, but I definitely notice it. Because all of a sudden I, I'm more nervous watching someone climb. But I, I know I've yet to have an issue where I like said something and someone was upset about it, though. But who knows? <laughs> Do you have any uh, experience in the Olympic Village? I know you uh, haven't been an athlete in the village yourself, but... Uh, do you have kind of a, a, a finger on the pulse of what life is like in the Olympic Village? Because I think that's something people are always curious about. In talking to some of my friends, it sounded like a blast. Um, I asked about the cardboard beds, obviously. They said it wasn't a big deal. Yeah, that I think was everybody... like all the rage. <laughs> yeah, they were all the rage. They were all over every social media outlet. Um, it was funny because, you know, climbers are generally, I mean, especially women, I, I feel like female climbers are around 5'1 to about 5'8 at the max. So I got a lot of comments about like, oh my gosh, we were in the elevator with these like giant basketball players. They were so much bigger than us, like funny little things like that. Um, and I know too that like, because if before you were in the Olympic Village um, in Tokyo, you were at like another hotel, a lot of athletes, because this Olympics again was different and not everyone was in the Olympic Village right away. So I also heard that like the food was really good there and it was just really easy to navigate and there were so many cool little hangout places and whatnot. So it, I mean, to me, it sounded like a blast. Did it seem like they vibed with, with the other athletes. I've always kind of wondered about, you know, you've got athletes from all over the world doing all kinds of different events that have had totally different lifestyles. And then they're stuck in this little like community with each other for two weeks. Did you get any story, any crazy stories about, oh, I met so-and-so and they're like the wildest person I've ever met. 
I didn't hear anything like that. And I think, again, I think if things were a little more strict this year, it's not like people were going crazy partying like maybe in previous Olympics. I mean, I remember there was all that. I forget which Olympics it was, but there was all that like Ryan Lochte drama at one point. Like he had gone mm-hmm. crazy partying or something. I don't know if you guys remember yeah, that. Yeah, I remember I what was going on. Yeah, I don't think that kind of stuff was happening so much because they were very strict about everything. Um, but I remember one of my friends saying that either the guys on the team were, they, I think they were rooming with some skateboarders or surfers and like they were really cool. And then there was like some connection back to the U.S. and like they were all going to hang out later and go surfing. I don't know. But it sounded like, you know, having roommates from other sports was super fun and getting to learn about, you know, other people's sports and then trying to connect for after the Olympics was kind of a thing. I remember in the uh, during the 2016 Olympics, I had at the time, we'll say this publicly, had been paying for Tinder, which means that I had the passport feature so I could put myself like anywhere in the world. So I was like, this will be fun to put myself in the Olympic Village in Rio. <laughs> and I remember that the people that would come up on Tinder in the Olympic Village were just the most intimidatingly fit, accomplished people I've ever seen in my life. Either that or there are other people that are posers like you, and they're just like placing them in there. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, they're they're like lying about who they are. (laughs) That's honestly, they're one. They're playing chess. I'm playing checkers. I don't know, but I I think I swiped no on everybody, not because I wasn't interested, but because I just was like, I'm taking myself out of this game. Like, there's absolutely no (laughs) way I'm qualified to to be here. That's not funny. because I'm four thousand miles away, but because <laughs> I know I like that that didn't keep me. I, I lack. I, I just lack the, the 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 motivation and dedication and a drive that these people do. So I'm not going to waste their time with me. Did anyone swipe yes to you? I no. I don't. I I was. I did it for like fifteen minutes, and I think I swiped. Wow. I didn't linger too long. <laughs> so. Uh, no, it was Are a fun little thing ex- for Tinder, though. Uh, no, no, that's the, <laughs> the real, real question. question. <laughs> no, that's yeah, it's a fun little experiment. But so people like me, I've never really witnessed climbing in person. Like I've never climbed myself. Um, I don't really know a whole lot about it. If I was to watch on TV, I don't know how it's scored. I don't know how what makes someone better than someone else, except sheer speed, I guess. How do you, as an announcer, explain to people at home who don't really know what's going on? And this goes for a lot of the new sports, the Olympics that aren't that mainstream, how it's working, how the scores work, how people are winning and losing. Because I spent half my time watching skateboarding in the Olympics, having absolutely no clue what was earning people points and what was docking them points. Had no clue. Yeah, that is tricky. I watched a few sports, too that I didn't know much about. And I was like, I don't know what's going on here. Um, Skateboarding, though, was one of the ones that I was like, oh, it's still fun. I don't actually care what's going on. It's cool to watch them do tricks. Um, (laughs) Till they they eat shit. Yeah, till they eat shit. Then you're like, ooh. Um, (laughs) Yeah, so with climbing, I mean, we talk about the scoring a lot, honestly, or we try to keep the audience um, uh, privy to how people are earning points in each discipline. So your goal is to be the best in each discipline. And it starts with the speed discipline that moves to the bouldering discipline that moves to the lead discipline. And it's the idea is kind of to find the most well-rounded athlete 
the way we did it was kind of take you through each discipline as it's happening. And at the top of the, like the top of the show, we would have rules laid out for each discipline. Speed's pretty obvious. It's like in the final, it's a head to head race and whoever wins moves on to the next round and it's a bracket. So that's pretty chill. Bouldering, they have three boulder problems. The idea is to get to the top of all of them. If you don't get to the top of all of them, then that zone hold halfway up-ish is the next important thing. And then it's attempts, and that's how you separate people. And then lead, it's rope climbing. You're clipping in. It's a longer... So bouldering's no rope. Sorry, I didn't say that. It's more like... I like to think of bouldering like sprinting. It's like the more powerful discipline. Um, and then lead's more of like endurance. And that one's pretty simple too. It's You're trying to get to the very top, and for each hold you grab, you get points. Tim, which one would you do? So the only the only climbing I've ever done is bouldering, very light, like casual style. The most powerful one. That's <laughs> I was just gonna say that powerful discipline for a powerful guy. But I, I'm I'm curious. You know, you're someone who's been competing since the age of five in climbing, gymnastics, pole vaulting. As somebody who's come at these sports from that angle, do you feel that there's any? burnout in the competition aspect of the sport or does it draw away from making you want to do it on your day off how do you approach that side of it mm. I mean I think it's definitely possible to burn out in any sport I do think climbing is special in the sense that if you're burned out on competing you can always just start focusing on outdoor climbing for a bit um, and that's just a great outlet and you know maybe you do that for a bit and then you come back to competitions or maybe you decide actually I never want to do competitions again but you can still make a career out of climbing in either arena and you can still be super strong in either arena as well. So it's kind of cool that there are two different lanes really, which I think other sports don't have that. Like right. once you're done competing in gymnastics, like you don't really do gymnastics again. Yeah, There's not really outdoor gymnastics that you can pursue. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> is it, is climbing so, like gymnastics where you kind of peak at 16 and then you're just done? Um, I will say that it seems like people do kind of peak younger in gymnastics for sure. Uh, or I'm sorry, in climbing. Um, I feel like the sweet spot for women's kind of around like 16 to 23. Not to say you couldn't continue on after that, but it does seem kind of like a nice sweet spot for doing really, really well. Um, there were, I mean, one of the women who podiumed in the Olympics was 32, which was dope. <laughs> To see. Basically knocking on death's door by that point. Thirty-two. <laughs> no, definitely not. But you do see like you see fewer people in their thirties in competition climbing specifically. But then you still pe see people crushing into their forties in outdoor climbing. So forties, fifties, even. I don't know. Tim's like... approaching forty. He just turned uh, thirty-eight a few days ago. So yeah, I'm over over the hill. There's you. hope. No, there's hope for you, Tim. Into the, into their forties, she said. Outdoor climbing, though, strictly outdoor. <laughs> you could be older. No, no, not strictly outdoor. It's just it seems that fewer people, like people start to move away from competitive climbing once they hit their mid-30s. But there are still an, there's anomalies that stay in longer. Uh, so let's let's switch gears a little bit and talk about uh, your, your other claim to fame, which is American Ninja Warrior. The, I think this, the entire concept of that is is fascinating to a lot of people because it's, it's such a public display of, of discipline and strength and uh, focus. How in the world does, how do you break into to 
that and be like, I am going for this. This is what I'm going to do now. Uh, for me, it was pretty accidental. Um, I There was like an email circulating around through the climbing community that uh, was it must have been from casting or producers or something that they wanted more women with upper body strength to try out for the show. And so I was like, oh, like I remember watching this in high school on like G4, like the Sasuke version. I didn't even know that American Ninja Warrior was a thing. I didn't know they had totally done an American version. And I was like, oh, like I, I guess I'll make a video. Like maybe, maybe they'll pick me, maybe they won't. I met a few guys at the gym when I was living in Boulder that had been on the show. And they were like, oh, you should come train with us one day. I like went to a ninja gym like three or four times and then like went and competed in Denver in 2014 and didn't really know what I was doing. I got there and I was like, wait, why, why do people have like sleeping bags and like crash pads and like backpack? Like, are we going to be here long? What's happening? <laughs> and they were like, oh yeah, if you do well, you're here all night. I was like, wait, what? And my call time was like midnight. And I was like this, I was like, uh, I think maybe I should go home. I don't know if I'm prepared for this. This doesn't seem like a good idea. Uh, so then I bar- I almost didn't even get to go. It was like the sun was coming up and the steps had frozen over at some point and they were like blow torching the steps because it was so cold. And then I finally got a chance to go and I ended up completing the qualifier course, which no female rookie had ever done before. And in general, I was like the third female that year to even do that. And so from there, it all kind of snowballed and I kind of got put into this um, community that I didn't really know much about and then kept doing it and I've just done eight seasons now it's a, I honestly don't even know how it all it's really cool. that's a, that's it's a just... long tv career I feel I, I'm like oh yeah I've been on Ninja Warrior for eight seasons I know I was like how is that even possible I went to school for four years but I've been on the show for eight <laughs> like what that's that's a longer run than most uh hit tv shows just just your run I on know, American Ninja crazy. Warrior what is a ninja gym like <laughs> I didn't know that was a thing that existed is that like a crazy when you walk into one of those like what's that like uh, they're pretty cool um it depends on the gym i mean i've been to a few cool ones honestly somehow i always live in places where i have to drive like an hour at least to an ninja gym so i don't frequent them that much because they're so far away um but it's just people cool. parkouring everywhere I mean, some gyms are more parkour based, but nowadays a lot of them are very ninja based. So it's almost like what you would see on the show in a warehouse. And most of them are kind of smaller in scale, but actually the gym I go to in the bay sometimes is actually, it's very similar scale, like big trusses and mats everywhere, people swinging from thing to thing, climbing, spider climbs, going up 18-foot warped walls. It's kind of insane. <laughs> All right, I'm Googling ninja gyms near me because I'm now fascinated Where do you live? This. Just north of Boston. Mm. Okay, Lon- Wait, Londonderry, New Hampshire. Where in Newburyport. Bo- you li- <gasps> Shut the front door. Hold on, time out. We have to talk oh about this. Oh, my God, is this happening again? <laughs> okay. Is this going to happen again? Wait, 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 oh wait, wait, wait. Okay, so... I okay so my husband's from Wakefield Massachusetts I met him we didn't start dating at first when I met him I met him at Metro Rock in Newburyport oh, really? climbing competition <laughs> that he created and set and whatever and that's hilarious I love Newburyport I, I think it's so adorable I would love to live there <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome 
That's amazing. We have uh, we've had like two or three guests on the show that all have discovered mid-interview that they are either like from Newburyport and live like five minutes down the road from me, or have some other weird connection to Newburyport. So that's that's so funny. That's, that's so awesome. Funny. Yeah, I've been to Metro Rock once we, when I was like I was just there. I go to the brewery that's like right next to Metro Rock all the time. Riverwalk. Oh, nice! It's, it's like directly right next, door, next door, right? Yeah. Like next door, yeah. yeah, yeah. We were just there visiting family like a few months ago. Yeah, that's so, so funny. I love, I love um, <laughs> Plum Island. I think it's so cute. Yeah, it's that's. So I used cute. to live on Plum Island. Yeah, that's awesome. Oh, you're so lucky. <laughs> there was a lot for sale. I totally looked at it. I was like. But yes, and if you do move here, there is a Ninja Warrior Fitness Gym in <laughs> Londonderry, New Hampshire, which is 35 minutes away. Wow, that's close. Londonderry, New Hampshire, which has like 20,000 people that live there crazy that that like a weird place for a ninja gym but they're right. popping up everywhere people are the people are obsessed with the ninja thing like they love it and i mean i get it it's like i mean it's fun and you get to swing on things it's a good time and yeah yeah uh-huh. i mean it's perfect for kids <laughs> when people ask you what you do for a living have you ever said that you're a ninja I actually haven't i, I how like it. obnoxious would that be though <laughs> could you imagine <laughs> I always am just like, I just, I do a lot of things. I don't know what I really yeah, do. Right. I just do a lot of different things. <laughs> right, right, right. Well, before we close out, what, uh, as far as travel goes, is there anywhere that has been your favorite place to travel for climbing? Uh, any places in the world that you are on your bucket list to, to go and climb? Yeah. Um, well, I'm, I, I've always wanted to climb in Mallorca in Spain. There's deep water soloing there. Do you guys know what that is? No idea. I'm going to guess that it's a rock face out of the water. Yes, you nailed it. So you climb these cliffs above the ocean. And so if you fall, you fall into the water. It's really cool. So I got to go there for like a hot second recently, but I would love to go back there and like spend time in like the prime season and climb there. I think that'd be amazing. It's no Metro rock. I'll tell you that. (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's that's funny (laughs) anything else tim uh i i think that's good unless there's any anybody uh anyone you want to shout out or anything thank you so much for coming on megan it's been a pleasure talking to you where can people check you out on and learn more about you online yeah no problem this was super fun uh yeah i don't know well i have a website and then my instagram is megan martin 89 and it's spelled m-e-a-g-a-n Okay, awesome. Thanks again for coming on. And if you you and your husband ever find yourself in Newburyport, hit me up. We'll go to Metro Rock and you can laugh at me while I <laughs> fail miserably at climbing. I would never laugh at you. I'd be psyched for you. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that sounds great. It's all, it's all about your own personal progression. <laughs> it's a lot of progression to be made there. So a lot of room for improvement. <laughs> it's all about the effort, Evan. <laughs> well, thanks again for, for being here and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you guys so much. Have a great day. Okay, we're here in news of the day after a great talk with Megan Martin. So the first thing I want to talk about today, Evan, is lockdowns for the unvaccinated. As you're aware, uh, and anybody that's paying attention to the news is likely aware as well, Germany has instituted a lockdown for unvaccinated people. Austria has done something similar. Uh, Are you seeing these coming back? Do you think it's necessary? What are your thoughts here? Yeah, the big news today, which will be slightly old when the time this comes out, 
uh, is that Germany just announced a national lockdown for all unvaccinated people. And uh, this is understandably quite controversial. Austria did something similar a few weeks ago. And I, I mean, we, we discussed last week with Ross about closing borders and uh, the ethics of limiting uh, travel to certain countries because of COVID. And I think that uh, while it sounds very uh, abrupt and harsh and kind of jarring that the whole country is being shut down for unvaccinated people, as we discussed with Ross last week, again, it's the least ethical thing you can do is not get vaccinated, not wear a mask and travel. And travel is perfectly safe, perfectly healthy, as long as you're doing it responsibly. Responsible travel in this day and age, like it or not, equals traveling while vaccinated. So I'm pro this measure, as harsh as it might sound. You know what, Evan? I am too. It's something I've, I've come around to. And I, I generally am becoming on more of the bandwagon, uh, excuse me, the bandwagon that uh, full-scale lockdowns and the shutting down of businesses is not the way to go. But for unvaccinated people that are making the choice to not be that when they could very easily go down the street and get vaccinated free of charge. Uh, this is a situation where it's appropriate, it's necessary, and it's ethically the right thing to do. Because if you're you're making the decision to put other people's lives at risk, you shouldn't be traveling around. Furthermore, the, you know what this really is, Evan, is it's it's a grand worldwide scale of the whole being more important than the individual. Um, I don't see how this in any way infringes on anybody's individual rights. This is a matter where the whole has to be taken into account because the whole is more important than what one person thinks. I mean, countries basically have two choices. It's what we did the first time around, which is mandate that businesses close uh, under the assumption that not enough people are vaccinated and that people can't make the right public health decision. So everyone loses out or close those businesses only for the people who make poor public health decisions. So right. last time around, we did it. We all lost out and that's fine. You know, there was no vaccines around. There was, there was no wearing masks, fine, whatever. This time around there's vaccines. So you can either close everything again, or in which case people will just complain just like they did last time, or you can close it just for the people that won't follow the rules. So I, you know, if it's between that or everybody having to sit in time out because a few people won't do what they should. I'm in favor of the nationwide lockdown. Let's do it. Right. I agree. There weren't the option of the vaccines last year when uh, the world went on full lockdown. This is a completely different story now. We know a lot more about the virus, a lot of new ways to treat it, and we know all, a lot more about how it's going to spread. Uh, and if you're not going to take the, if, if, if you're not going to protect yourself and the people that are around you from it, if you're going to deny basic science, yeah, you don't deserve to play the game. All right. Well, on a somewhat lighter note, we have this article that I wrote a few weeks ago. For some reason, it was assigned to me, probably the least qualified person on earth to write this article. It's called Seven Convenient Snacks to Fuel You Through Your Next Backcountry Ski Trip. So it's basically me, who has never been skiing or backcountry skiing, recommending seven of the best, healthiest snacks to get you through your backcountry ski adventure. And Tim, as a big skier, I wanted to run some of these by you and get get your input. Get you, get, yeah. like, rate me on some of my selections here because I, I think that you might have some thoughts. Why don't we go ahead and skip right to, uh, right to number five, small red baked potatoes. I think, 
of all the now, things okay, on this Now, okay, so this, this one This is I the have... only one I have not tried. Okay, so now this I actually have a defense for. Frequent listeners will remember uh, Michael Bird Schaefer, our guest from a couple of months ago, pro skier with Black Crow Skis. I hit him up for some suggestions. He gave me one or two. This was one of them. He said, small, red, baked potatoes. He said, if you're in, quote, if you're in for a full day in the backcountry, coat small baked potatoes with olive oil, salt, pepper, garlic powder, bake them the night before, and just pop them in your mouth every hour or so. So there you go. Uh, let's go to my favorite one, which is, of course, pizza. Tim, do you ever think pizza would be a backcountry ski snack? Do you ever bring pizza along with you? Yeah, I, I have, actually. Pizza goes good because it's great when it's cold. So you can throw it in some foil or in a uh, sandwich bag, put it in your backpack, and bring it with you pretty easily. Obviously, the benefit of pizza is its shape. It doesn't take up a lot of space in your in your pack like a large, round object does. So pizza does have that going for it. Okay, so we got two winners here so far. And what about Pop-Tarts? Pop-Tarts, Tim. We got Pop-Tarts. I- I know people that bring Pop-Tarts. For myself, I'm not much for the super sweet things. I, I, I don't like the energy that comes from those, but I have been out with people that bring Pop-Tarts and similar, you know, candy-type stuff with them. I'm more of a Cliff Bar kind of guy myself, but, yeah, I mean, Pop-Tarts, you'll see them out there. Any other thoughts on anything else on this list before we close this out? We got PB&Js, dried mangoes and figs, and... Uh, a bagel with bananas and peanut butter. Any issues with any of these things, or is my list perfect? It's pretty good for a, for a non-backcountry skier, I'm not going to lie. I'm surprised. I thought you were going to take issue with at least five of the seven. No. I, I, well, my issue was with the potatoes, but if Bird says they're good to go, then now I'm on board. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try it this season. That's my new goal. That's the only one that was actually recommended to me by someone who knows what they're talking about. So Cool. Take notes, Tim. Take notes. I'm taking notes. And on that note... We'll close it out. Thanks for listening to No Blackout Dates. Make sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us, of course, a five-star review. And if for some reason you want to follow what we're up to, I'm Flow underscore on Instagram, and he's Tim Winger one Also, a big shout-out and thanks to our producer, Alex Halkey, executive producer, Katie Hetrick, our email marketing guru, Kelsey Wilking, the Matador social crew, and everyone else on the team who puts up with us on a daily basis. We'll see you guys next week.